Sourcing and procurement for our company is decentralized. Mm -hmm. We do not have a central procurement team. Where we have a central sourcing team is specifically for that half of the business that does nutrition. Because they're, you know, sourcing raw materials that meet the requirements of what an R&D team told them needs to go into the products. They work with third-party manufacturers to manufacture our products, warehouse it, and uh, fulfillment distribution. That's a very centralized and focused team. This is Smarter Sourcing, a show dedicated to helping sourcing and procurement leaders elevate their influence and get their seat at the table. Our mission is to empower listeners to reimagine their roles and make that happen. In each episode, we'll speak with an innovative leader to distill best practices, learn from their mistakes, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work. Here's your host, executive producer for Smarter Sourcing, John Pavia. Now let's jump right into today's episode. Welcome everyone to this installment of Smarter Sourcing. My name is John Pavia and I am super excited this morning because I get to interview the CFO of Beachbody, Mark Swedan. And we are here live at the ICR conference in Orlando, Florida. And is this your second ICR conference as yeah, a CFO? It's my second as a CFO. Had you, had you come before this? No. I like this conference. I know you go to, you have to go to all these analyst conferences. Do you enjoy this one? Did you enjoy it Absolutely. last year? I would say it's a very impressive conference just in terms of critical mass, the number of investors and companies they bring together. It's yeah, probably because, the most powerful one I've seen today. Yeah, because it's analysts, but it's also people from the industry and it's a good mix. I'm excited about this interview because I've been a Beachbody fan um, a huge customer. We have way too many Beachbody DVDs down in our workout room. I'm still wondering which of my kids lost some of my P90X DVDs. But I was reminded by my one of my sons that not everybody knows Beachbody, the company. They know the products like P90X and Insanity. I'm a big Insanity fan with Sean T, Pio. But the company's gone through an enormous transformation. It's, I think, in the middle of an interesting transformation right now. But before we get into that, I think your background is just as interesting. And I want I thought we'd start out with you giving your background and how you go from this kid in Montreal, Canada to now CFO of Beachbody, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here this morning, John, and uh, thanks for holding this podcast. Yeah, I mean, listen, when I started off, I saw my career as what we call in Canada, a chartered accountant in an audit firm, but I had grown up, my dad owned a canning factory. so. I grew up helping in the canning factory. And with there, I got to learn everything around manufacturing, food goods, to distribution, to billing, to implementing uh, our own ERP system. And, you know, cans of beans at that time didn't sell for a very high price, right? It was about 10 cents was a selling price of a can of beans on the wholesale level. But when you start off implementing a system for a company that does 6 million cans a year, you know what? You get some really solid experience. How old were you when you were doing this? I started off there as a teenager hmm. and I kept doing this kind of work even when I started off my career as an auditor at a big four firm. So that's, I think, what made me very different from the beginning of, you know, I had the accounting chops of being a CPA while also having a very operational bent and entrepreneurial spirit. And that's how I moved on to do my MBA at Kellogg. I co-founded two startups, exited both of them. I then joined McKinsey Consulting, where I spent two years there. And then I moved to PwC, where I spent 17 years 
I was one of their uh, M&A leaders. I led the uh, tech media telecom M&A business. And, you know, I got to do over 100 deals. And in that time frame, I got to see so much from different companies and how they do things and, you know, different deals and how they're structured and the transformations that come afterwards. So that kind of, between my curiosity and the breadth of exposure I got to, just built me an incredible amount of experience. And not to share my age, but as I approached the age 50, I was thinking, you know what? I've always wanted to be a CFO, but you know, something happened. My career at PwC went so well, I totally forgot about that. And then I said, you know, it's never too late. Let me do my career change now. And that's how I met Beachbody. They were looking for a very transformational CFO. And I joined two years ago, Beachbody uh, as a CFO. So, so I, that's actually where I wanted to go because as you take a look at when you joined and where the company was at, and really we were coming out of COVID and given your background, I think you probably had a lot of optionality, but you chose this one. And it's in the middle of, it was at the beginning now in somewhere on the journey of an interesting transformation. So I wouldn't consider this a light lift. This was a heavier lift and a challenge. And so I'm curious, what was it that really was the magnet that you know appealed to you and said, this is the one I wanna try? As you noted, Beachbody's been around for 25 years, right? It's touched over 30 million people over that time frame. So just like you noted, you have P90X and Pio and Insanity DVDs. It shifted from DVD to being a streaming business. In that shift and come COVID in the era of, I'll call it 0% interest and everybody's trying to grow at all costs, the company went public, raised a lot of money and had built an, you know, a really large cost structure to try to attack those opportunities. Then the economy reopened back up and demand for home fitness kind of just collapsed suddenly. And Beachbody, like a lot of companies in this field, found itself really needing to turn around and turn around fast and adjust for the times they were in. And that's when I joined. So it was definitely a big challenge, but it was a fun challenge. What attracted to me was, listen, you got a company that's helped 30 million people, an incredible brand, incredible capabilities of creating transformational fitness programs, also half our, our revenue is nutritional supplements, which is a very healthy and growing TAM. So it had all the right pieces to say, listen, if you've got the right management team and you got all these amazing assets, you turn this around, this is an incredible opportunity. So how do you, just when someone says to you today, you know, so what do you do? What's Beachbody today when you describe the company? I would say half of the revenues our streaming digital subscription, just like Netflix is for entertainment. That's our business model for workout programs. So half our business is, you know, given 1.3, 1.4 million paying subscribers that subscribe, pay a monthly fee and have access to all our programs. The other half is a portion of those customers consuming the classic workout supplements. Some people take like an energized supplement before working out. Some people like to take a protein supplement afterwards. Some people like to take a superfood health mix. Some people like to take collagen. So we have a big lineup of nutritional supplements that our existing consumers purchase from our site. And you're in your role, you, you have, I know you have your hand in everything. Now that you're in the role for two years, you get to use a lot of different skills from your finance skills to, but I would assume that there's a lot of creative that goes into this. And do you get to have a hand in that as well? Yeah, listen, absolutely. When you're in the middle of doing a big turnaround like this, everything's got to be translated to how does it impact the financial outlook? And in that process, you do have to challenge everybody and question everything 
and make sure that the plan coming together really delivers on an outcome that ultimately creates shareholder value. So that is probably the most critical part as a CFO I'll get involved in to help really shape where we're going and how we're gonna do things and what would it translate to and then measuring whether we're delivering on, on that or not and where it is great and where it's not great. Hey, management team, let's step back and see how we address that. Now, there are things that I remember went public also in 2021. So the company hadn't built out yet investor relations fully, was not SOX compliant yet. So I kind of had to bifurcate myself. One is driving the, helping drive the transformation of the business. But two, you still got to get the basics in place. SEC reporting, SOX compliance, investor relations. So it was a Definitely a two-fronted battle here. So putting the finance side over here for a second, you published a paper back in, I think, 2014 on leveraging technology in your business. And now you take a look at Beachbody today and where holistically it's, it's a much different, much evolved company from where it started. And using technology and using the power of technology and communication, it's really about how to reach people from a health standpoint holistically, not just how big your biceps are, but mental health, your overall wellness. And so I would imagine that's been sort of a passion of yours or just how do you leverage technology in every aspect of your life, including wellness? Well, you're right, given where we are, first of all, as a streaming platform, right? You could monitor when John logs in, when is John working out, and when should you contact John to encourage him to do more, mm. right? So, so from a streaming platform standpoint, it's a very different business than when it was a DVD. In a DVD, John bought the DVDs. John may have put the DVD down and never used it. John may be using it for 10 years on a daily basis, which makes you a great consumer. In a streaming platform, you have access to everything people are doing. And so that creates some very rich data. And same thing for consumers interfacing outside your firewall you know who's coming, you know how they got there, you know where they're, you know, kind of like, what did they click on, what did they not click on, which creative assets are working, where in the funnel are things working. So we're living in a world where you have an abundance of data, mm -hmm. right? And those who succeed are the ones who know how to use technology to make sense of that data and guide better decisions because there's no shortage of data, right? Before, like I said, if you bought the DVD, I don't know what happened afterwards. I'd have to conduct some consumer survey or research. Now, because all your interaction either to buy or to stay engaged in the platform is directly attributed to our digital experience, we know everything you're doing. So we know how to interface and interact with our consumers much better. So let's go one level down now into the business. So the business is based out of Western California, correct? Yeah. And give us an idea of how many full-time employees, how many locations you have, your production studios, and if you could. Yeah, look, after going through the transformation, we've reduced our employee count and our facilities location dramatically. Our employee count is 40% lower now. We're on track to taking out $200 million out of our fixed cost structure and capital expenditures and sales and marketing. So we have one office, but we're a remote company. Through COVID, we decided to go to remote, so we employ people in a few dozen states. It creates a lot of flexibility. You attract a lot of talent that way, and you retain talent. It's obviously harder to build culture that way. Mm. We do have a production facility for all the media creation, so they're filming there on a daily basis. Is that there on site where the headquarters is? It's a separate building in LA. It's an own building in the neighborhood of LA where there's a lot of media production. 
So when you drive around there, you see a lot of other studios as well in the production business, but that's hardcore, very, you know, what you'd expect from media production where filming happens uh, regularly. Do you get to go over and some, watch some of the production? Yeah, Do you? absolutely. Okay, I mean, so what, you, you gotta feel the business, right? Yeah. That's a big philosophy of mine. So actually I took, I took my whole finance team, I said, we gotta all go and hold one of our meetings on site there, just so you feel it. You see the super trainers walk in, you see how people interface and schedule things and how they do setup, stage setup and so on. So you, you got to learn the business inside out to be the best business advisor. All right. So I always had this question in the back of my mind, which is if you were to take the outtakes like they take from Seinfeld or whatnot, would it make a good blooper reel? Would you ever see Tony Horton say, all right, wait, this guy's hopping and puffing way too much. I need to get somebody else. Well, I think back in the days when they're doing DVDs, yes, but now it's live, it's live. right? And, and even I wouldn't say some things may not be immediately live, but you're filming it in a way where it is going live, so you can't edit it. So it's changed the dynamics of how you have to prepare and be ready to go. And it improves your both the uh, engagement model of your output, because right now we have this thing called the podcast where you could see something like 20, 30 people working out on screens in the background. So it's almost like a Zoom of workouts. You see the super trainer in the middle. Sometimes you see two other people working out with them live. And then you see 20 people following the workout from their homes and the super trainer could turn and tell them like, here's what you need to fix and how you're doing it, which is what makes this whole experience richer than just, you know, watching somebody on YouTube doing their own video. So all that creates a richer experience for the consumer, but it also allows us to actually increase the velocity of the output. Because if you spend so much time to prepare and then you spend so much time afterwards editing, your output could only be so much. So right now our actual production output is actually higher and it's super efficient, right? I mean, that's one metric we follow very closely is how efficient is our production output relative to our peers? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's an incredible core competency for us. And give us a sense of the org structure, you know, CEO, CFO, then what else falls underneath you particularly? I mean, what falls underneath me is everything, classic finance, so accounting, FP&A, tax, treasury, investor relations, internal audit, payments. So that all falls underneath me. And sourcing and procurement, where does that fall? Sourcing and procurement for our company is decentralized. Mm -hmm. We do not have a central procurement team. Where we have a central sourcing team is specifically for that half of the business that does nutrition. Because they're you know, sourcing raw materials that meet the requirements of what an R&D team told them needs to go into the products. They work with third-party manufacturers to manufacture our products, warehouse it, and uh, fulfillment distribution. That's a very centralized and focused team. Outside of that, we follow what I'd say is a very centralized P2P process, procure-to-pay process, where all procurement requires an, an initial request form, and legal and finance approves all of those to make sure we're not committing to terms, either from a legal or financial standpoint that we don't want to commit to, and it follows our business approval thresholds and our purchasing who, policy. Who's policing that? Is that people in your group? Finance and legal work together to make sure that that is enforced. And we have SOX controls around it to make sure it's effective and people follow it as a, as a consistent process. Hmm. So that gets tested by internal audit. So you know, it's a, such a unique business. I think about, um, you know, Jamie Dimon had a comment where he says, he, what keeps him up at night? And I think his answer was, uh, he goes to bed, he, he wakes up, he wants to know what happened overnight with overnight lending rates and where the Fed is. And Doug Parker, who I guess he was at one point head of American Airlines, then United, 
his answer was, you know, I want to see if something happened in the Middle East and oil prices are going through the roof. It's going to impact, you know, what keeps you up at night when from a sourcing procurement standpoint, you have human capital is your biggest cost and marketing and whatnot. But what's the thing that, you know, you go to bed and wake up and that's the first thing you're thinking about in terms of, you know, what could go wrong? Well, from an uh, enterprise risk management standpoint, you definitely got to know what could go wrong. And I'd say cyber in a digital world is huge, right? Because if your site gets shut down, either because of a hacker or because something went wrong within your systems, then John cannot get into the platform to work out. John is not a happy customer. John comes customer support. So you got to resolve that really fast. So cybersecurity is a very critical aspect of a company whose experience with everybody is all digital. From a redundancy standpoint, lots of investment on the IT side, I would imagine, and, and cloud security and whatnot. Absolutely. Your business. Yes. So you run a pretty lean operation, especially when the way you describe sourcing procurement. Give us an idea of, you know, what are the learnings that you learned, even going back, working for your dad, through your position today that informed you in terms of what your procurement strategy should be and, and how you actually ensure compliance? So, you know, like I said earlier, I've worked on over a hundred deals in my lifetime. And when I step back and look at all the companies that made those deals, I really got to see what makes certain companies move faster, be more agile and produce better results. I think it ultimately leads to those that question everything. There's no such thing as it's worked really well, so don't rock the boat. So in my mandate, you know, I've pushed really hard as part of that initial request form to say anything over $200,000 should be put out to bid. Mm. And I led by example, right? Because in my finance function, you know, we had some long-standing relationships, 10 years. Well, we put those things out to bid and we cut the cost in half. So sometimes when you come with that transformational mindset, people may not appreciate what you're trying to do and the why, but then they see the results and they're like, wow, <laughs> this yeah. is great. We should get more of that going. So that process I spoke about, which is virtual, the art for me is how to deliver results via that virtual results and you know, leading by example of saying, let's question everything. There's no reason we shouldn't question it. And if you don't, how are you gonna produce, You know, when I say we're on track to deliver, $200 million of savings, that doesn't come without making any effort. You got to question whether you need to spend. You got to question whether you're spending it right. And then you got to challenge how much you're spending per rates of input units you're getting from that third party. So last year at this conference, I sat in on one of the presentations and it was an interesting comment that your CEO made. And it leads to my question, is Beachbody a counter cyclical business? Meaning it's almost better to be in a down economy where people want to work out from home instead of spending money on a, on a gym membership. I'd say number one, it can be, right? It can be, but it's one of those things like, do I really need to test that? So our product has touched 30 million people, like I said. So we don't need a recession to create the demand for it. So my CEO, where he's an incredible visionary, is really tapping the demand of, you have 150 million people just in the US that are considered overweight that's his target audience. So if you appeal to those people, and yes, we are an incredibly affordable solution, it becomes a bit of a no-brainer to say, yeah, let me sign up to this and try it. We could be counter-cyclical because fitness is a discretionary spend, but when you look at surveys of discretionary spend, it's usually the last one somebody will touch. And then when you combine that with the fact that we're a very affordable solution, you could shift demand from somebody who you know, if somebody's subscribing to a 100 to $200 a month gym, 
Can $15 a month save them a lot of money? Absolutely. So I do think there's a counter-cyclical benefit to our business. I just wouldn't design it in a way where, you know, you wait 10 years to get a, <laughs> to get a down cycle. In the end, it's about tapping the demand off the 150 million people that need it. Got it. So as we look at the future for Beachbody, the goals for this year, 2024, what do you want to be talking about a year from now when we hopefully get back together? So when we launched our turnaround and transformation about a year and a half ago, we said there's three things we got to do, right? We have to dramatically cut costs. We have, right? We're on track to get $200 million of savings. And number two, we have to launch a new digital platform that's a lot more appealing. We were just rated two weeks ago by CNN as the top workout and fitness app. I think our mission got accomplished there because we launched that uh, mid-year while cutting our costs, which is not an easy that's thing. That's fantastic. And number three, which is where we're laser focused now, is really looking at the demand side, how we're stimulating demand, how we're bringing consumer into the fold and how we're doing in retention. Because that's ultimately the revenue line of your P&L. If you can master that, right, and we have a series of initiatives around that, then you stabilize your revenues because you could cut costs all you want, but if you don't stabilize your revenues, you never get to profitability. So I'd say those are the three elements of our transformation and we've achieved two. And now we're in the middle of this third one where we've announced a series of initiatives, everything from diversifying our channels to going back to millions of previous consumers like yourself and telling them, come try the product, reactivate it, because that has no customer acquisition cost, to launching what I'll call a freemium model. So, so we have a series of initiatives meant to bring revenue in at a very efficient sales and marketing cost. And once you complete that, you create a highly profitable. And has Peloton, in the way they reach their customers, have they caused that industry to sort of evolve to the next level? Or are they, I mean, they, they're a competitor of sorts. Absolutely, they're competitive sorts, right? So if I think about the digital streaming and the supplements business, they compete in the digital streaming. They're what you call the connected fitness business, right? Which has a hardware element. And Beachbody in 2021, when they went public, actually bought a connected fitness business, a bike. So that is a tough business, right? So are they a competitor that I respect? Absolutely. But you know, one big difference between Beachbody is that we're a streaming business. So if you look at our gross margin, even with the supplement, it, it's always above 60%. If you look at hardware companies, and by hardware, I mean somebody who's you know selling a Tonal or a Mirror or a Peloton or a Bowflex, I mean, their gross margin will typically be a lot lower because you know, you're selling a pretty heavy piece of machine. You got to manufacture that. You got to hold it in inventory. You got to ship it to a consumer. You got to install it. You got to accept returns. That's a much harder business to be in. Yeah, yeah. So because your brand, and I'll finish with this, because I know we, you got to get going, but because the brand, I mean, it's such an integral part of the business, right? Your marketing, so marketing is all about marketing at, the, at that point after the execution. Is that kept in-house, large marketing department, or mostly third-party content, placement agencies, the whole nine yards? It's a healthy mix, John, right? I mean, so in terms of defining what you're gonna do, I mean, my CEO will be first to say he is a chief marketing officer because the role of a chief marketing officer is to define which markets you're gonna be in, not just where you spend your marketing dollars. Once it comes to you know spending marketing dollars, there are agencies involved. I mean, these days, if you wanna operate, I'll give you an example, if you wanna operate on Amazon, Anybody could get on Amazon and list something for sale. Driving sales on Amazon mm. has become a whole different data science play that if you don't understand that marketplace, then you're not going to be selling very much. 
because everybody's selling on it, right? So now you got to stand out amongst the sellers, not just put something up for sale there. So I think it's a healthy mix where we leverage third parties, where we do not have the core competency. And what's critical is the faster you realize you don't have a core competency, the faster you realize I got to go run a, a fair due process where I get to meet different vendors and see who stands out and could be my best business partner. Well, listen, I can't wait to hopefully be here a year from now, sit down with you again and hear the goals that you've achieved and the goals for 2025. So thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you, John. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Smarter Sourcing. For more episodes, visit www.smartersourcing.com or search Smarter Sourcing on your podcast platform of choice.